Well, welcome to Speak Ignatian. I'm Bob Steffen. And I'm Douglas Brown. We are companions on the journey. Examining one Ignatian term every month. As we look to see how those terms play out in people's lives. This month we cover Greek philosophy, Anglo-Saxon poetry, handwriting to Tai Chi as we try to speak Ignatian. And there's a very Zen moment and experience of just watching the pen go to paper and like bring something into being that wasn't there before. That's John Vella, English teacher, PhD in Greek philosophy, and handwriter extraordinaire. On day one, I cut to the scene in Wizard of Oz where you pull back the curtain, right? And I show them who I am and why I'm doing this and how we construct knowledge. That's Tom Marsh, English teacher, Anglo-Saxon aficionado, and Tai Chi instructor. This month we with Dr. John Bella, Mr. Tom Marsh of the English department here at Loyola High School. And on a personal note, just guys who've become dear friends to me and you know, you really just want colleagues like this all the time, ones who really live the work that we're doing. I said, we need these two to start it off. So, because you really live it. Thank yeah, so thanks much. very much for the invitation. Yeah, honored, for sure. So what do you think? Yeah, for you, what, yeah, what's it mean, um, especially as you've reflected over these couple weeks, to be contemplative in action? For me, it's been interesting to think about, and I was surprised at the ways it started to resonate with the beginning of the new school year, right. like with what I'm trying to do with my students. Yeah. Um, for me, you know, I always go back to the Greeks and I think about like, you know, Aristotle's idea of the contemplative life, right, which is the highest kind of existence, the highest form of flourishing, where all material, physical, and social needs are met. And it's the life spent in contemplation. And, you know, when, when the Greeks and Aristotle talk about that, they don't talk about you know, contemplation as merely a capacity, it's a capacity that is demonstrated in its exercise, mm -hmm. right? right? Like, we, you know, so when we talk about contemplative in action, it's not, you know, having a lot of, you know, data in your brain or a lot of, you know, books that you've read. It's, it's about like a daily engagement with it, mm -hmm. with the ideas and a sort of application of your, your capacity. And, you know, when I found myself talking to my students in the beginning of the year, like, you know, you guys are smart, but mm -hmm. what you need to do is demonstrate your smarts, and you yeah. demonstrate it through action, right? right. Like, the, a knife demonstrates its excellence by cutting well, a mind demonstrates its excellence by, like, thinking well, like thinking, you know, deeper thoughts or understanding profound truths. I mean, here we are, like, we have writers here, mm -hmm. right? right? Like. You know, Mr. Brown has come to my class a number of times to read poetry, right? To me, that was like contemplative in action, living the words he's written. Um, and then I also was thinking about him as a writer, right? Like, well, that's not merely like I have the capacity to be a poet. Right, right. I am being a poet right now. I am composing. So, I, you know, there's that sense. And I think in a lot of respects, we, we tend to think of um, these faculties sort of more as states right. as opposed to doings or activities. So that was something I really tried to, to explain to both my freshmen and seniors these last couple of weeks. Like 
you know, con contemplation is a doing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's it's not a, a being or a sitting still. It's a doing. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's the very nature of teaching that whether you're dealing with theoretical physics or scripture or archetypes from an ancient Anglo-Saxon text, you're talking about pulling things out of realms of abstraction and thought and discussing their relevance to personal formation mm -hmm. or the emotional response you can have to these things or in the case of physics, how you would apply these to the material world. So I just think the nature of teaching generally reflects the sort of Ignatian concept of merging the boundaries. I, th I thought of them as categories too and one, one thing I like about the phrasing of contemplatives in action is if you think of contemplation and action as separate categories, what the end does is bridge them. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes you unify these categories in a, way, in a way that, to me, speaks to sort of the Renaissance origins of the thought. It feels uniquely humanist mm -hmm. in that this is not gonna be medieval scholasticism that is offering up proofs for the nature of God, which are useful and mystical and fascinating, but they don't always land in the world. Right. right? And I think for Ignatian um, theology, what we're looking at is a theology and a spirituality that sees the need to actually manifest in the world as action, which can include thinking and writing and reading. I think those are forms of action that are useful to consider. Mm -hmm. Action doesn't necessarily have to be frenetic, physical, busy, or right, out in the right. streets all of the time. Writing a poem and leaving that as an intellectual artifact is a form of action that shapes consciousness mm -hmm. of, of the reader. So that too is a form of action in its own way. We're communicating a lot too as a culture. I'm not sure how much of it is contemplative though. It feels right. noisy and busy and of the moment. It dis disappears instantly yeah. and is replaced by new noisy talking points. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some real value in trying to rise above that or dial that down right. and access the space of contemplation so that what we say resonates and endures. Yeah. To be active in it and I think about I mean that's so much of our daily work right yeah. like to be contemplative in action like I'm gonna take this idea and hold it up in front of all of you right. and we're gonna look at it from all these different perspectives we are contemplatives in action right we are applying these gifts we have so so that really has jumped out at me and I think it was just maybe a just great coincidence that we happen to do this at the beginning of the year when you know you kind of rediscover your footing and like why are we here why are we in these relationships why are we doing this work and right. like to me it, it it just became more apparent than maybe it ever has been before one thing i've tried to do and i find myself doing this more and more is like justifying why contemplation is a good at all mm -hmm. right like you know, and for this generation of kids, they didn't grow up, you know, reading as much of the classics as we all did, so they might not take it as such a given. Like, why is that a good life? Why is sitting down with a book for hours, like, such a good thing? And the point that came to me over this last couple of weeks was the, the Ignatian idea of God in all things. And I was even doing this last night and back to school night with, with the parents trying to justify, like, you know, we're not just doing this because it's traditional. We're right, doing right. this because it leads them somewhere, right. right? There's a joy to be found in that exercise of your contemplative ability. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, to truly help them understand, like, this is a gift that you can think this way, mm -hmm. right? Like, right. it's really a gift to, to be able to understand human experience and empathize with someone through, you know, writing or, or uh, narrative. It's a gift to be able to understand, like, the way you know, mechanics and movement work in nature or the way life, you know, propagates, like, that's a gift to be able to understand those things. So, 
when we ask, when we talk about how do we model it, one place is, I've gone to is like even taken one step before the modeling and like, why do we set it as a goal? Right. You yeah. know, um, and often when we're surrounded by other academics, you just take it for granted, right? Like, oh well, obviously, you know, you've you've signed on to the you know to the mission statement, and <laughs> you think that knowledge is good, but you know, the, these kids here, like. There's a lot of other attractive things out there for them, yeah, right? Sure. Um, I mean, I find myself with my senior AP guys justifying, like, why do we want to read books? Yeah. <laughs> why do we want to, like, immerse ourselves in the world of an author, right? Like, yeah. um, and when you explain it to them, you know, they, they see it, but I think it helps to actually present it and say, like, we're not just doing this because we've been doing it for 2,500 years. No, we're doing right. this because it's a good, like, yeah. It's a fundamental, like, unequivocal good. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about you, John, though, and uh, that is a gift that you share, or I don't know how much you share, but your passion for handwriting, mm -hmm. period, and that slow activity, which is really gone, by the wayside with the mm -hmm. advent of computers mm -hmm. and, the, and how beautiful a text can be on a computer too, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if pen to paper really resonates with them as much anymore, you know? They'd re much rather, I had a talk with a parent last night, her son much rather type his things out. And, you know, I've thrown my hands up to this point, so of course, do it. Mm -hmm. but. So maybe talk to us about that. Yara. Yeah, you know, th thanks for asking about that because as my ki my students will tell you, like, I am, you know, a hooked on the fountain pens and the inks. <laughs> if you see in my room over there, I have a I have a running list of all the pens that are currently inked and which inks are in them. I have a color wheel of my fountain pen inks. <laughs> like, I'm hooked on it. Um, and, you know, in my classroom, for those who don't know, like my main way of taking notes is not on the board, but I project using a document camera my handwritten notes. And I, I do the headings in calligraphy and I do the, uh, and I do the notes just in, in cursive. And at first the guys are looking at like, oh my goodness, this guy, is this Thomas Jefferson? Like, what, who does he think, who does he think he is, you know, with this like script work and, you know, um, but you know, they start to, they start to really appreciate, first of all, I tell them a few things like, like one reason why people don't enjoy writing is because they don't actually look at where the pen meets the paper, right? This is your tool. Where the pen meets the paper is like a place where you're sort of carving an idea into being, right? And there's a very zen moment and experience of just watching the pen go to paper and like bring something into being that wasn't there before. There's times where, you know, like fountain pen inks dry slowly, and there's times where on the document camera the inks have a little shimmer because they're wet. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes I notice the kids are all just pausing and like <laughs> watching the ink dry, right? And to me, there's a little bit of contemplative inaction in that. I mean, there's a little bit of goofiness, and it's, it's fun that we can laugh about it, and I always tell them like, you know, when the ink's drying, I'm like, guys, like that just happened, right? Like, this was a this was a shared moment, like that will not happen again, right? Like the way the ink dried on that G was like something to behold, okay? And but <laughs> I know it's it's so funny, um, but as you say, Doug, it, 
it really is something that is a joy for me and it brings them a little bit of joy and you know they've started asking me like if uh, if there could be some incentives where a guy gets to use one of my fountain pens for a period like the guy with the highest score on a test would get to use a pen for a period so it's actually kind of waking them up to like well maybe this is something I can enjoy and something right, can be right, part of my right. life I find it so often supported um, and elsewhere on this campus we really do encourage a lot of active and reflective writing here mm -hmm. I mean when you look at what we do in um, in adult spirituality and student spirituality even for parents parents are soon going to be writing a letter to their sons for mm -hmm. frosh retreat like that is contemplative in action it is I mean it really feels Ignatian it's reflective it's empathetic it's communicative it's shared mm -hmm. um, and it is something that I think is treasured by like all parties involved so you know, when I, I was on a leadership retreat, junior leadership retreat last year, and the guys got their journals, and at first they weren't sure what to do with them, but they slowly wake up to, like, this is mine. I'm bringing things into being here that reflect me. And um, I don't know, I, I just feel like those are little glimpses of, for them, of the, the joys that can be found in those moments, and, and really feeling like I have a creative intellect, right? Yeah. Like, even if I'm just writing down what I'm hearing in class, even if I'm just reflecting on a journal activity or a, a retreat activity, like I'm bringing something into being with my intellect, right? And you know, you want them to feel a certain joy at that, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're all probably here in these careers because we felt joy in those moments of bringing something into being, like a paper we were writing, a presentation we were giving, um, a comment in class, and to give them that love of, uh, of contemplation. Um, I don't know, it feels very, it's really, it, it's heartening to see, you know, um, and uh, and who knows if it's influencing them to put their phones down more often or, right. um, but in any case, just to help them see, like when you write, you look at where the pen meets the paper, and that's where the magic's happening, mm -hmm. right? Like there's a magic there, mm -hmm. and so, so I don't know, like when you share those joys, you realize yeah. like what we get joy out of, you know, um, helps to teach them about what they can right. love and what they can be excited about. Wow. So many students, they just want to hang with you. Mm -hmm. You get the cool factor, you know. But they want all the joys they see when you ride your motorcycle yeah. in, or talk about like Tai Chi or something, yeah. or even your riding that you share with them. Sure. But actually, when I first saw this placard and we did Contemplatives in Action, I thought of Tai Chi, and I thought of this gets a little esoteric, but um, like the state of Wuji is a state of total neutrality. That's how the form begins mm. in the static position. The breath is the spirit that you inhale that infuses the body, so that would be the contemplation sphere. And the action is the movement that occurs with the breath. Wow. So you harmonize these two planes through movement, and the result is integrated breath and movement that produces the form and all the meditative outcomes of that state. Wow. So that sense of unification, I think, is key. Um, it's William Blake's poetry as well. It's like refusing the ancient categories and the old dualisms that he thinks have ossified yeah. and limit thought and rediscovering new points of connection between things that don't necessarily go together. So 
I think that's the, the, the genius of the, the framing device that Ignatius gives us. In terms of how we model this, to John's point, I agree. The beginning of the year is key because this is when, the longer I teach here, the more I realize you have to show them the mechanisms of your class. You can't just assume that this knowledge is necessary. So on day one, I cut to the scene in Wizard of Oz where you pull back the curtain, right? And I show them who I am and why I'm doing this and how we construct knowledge and what this means to development, intellectual development. It's like, who were the Anglo-Saxons? Why did they think the way they thought? We have to understand through sort of a Foucault framing device who these people were in terms of their truth candidates. And what that opens up to the students is a sense of inquiry about who we are, how we came to be, why we are the way we are, how culture shapes us, how we can speak back to culture and alter it in turn. So it's a discourse between external powers and internal realizations, which I think is very much the world of material action, the things that surround us, the society that frames us, and the world of contemplation is the world of immaterial aspirations, dreams, ideas that each individual person brings to this material existence. And what you want to do is unlock all those things inside of you that you can contribute to the world around you and reshape it or give. Right, so teaching does that naturally. But I think the great gift in being instructors is showing guys how to externalize internal aspirations, desires, needs to shape justice, to produce art, um, to do things that contribute meaningfully to the world around us. When I was thinking about how, just kind of imagining how this conversation would go with Tom when we got to the ideas of yoga or tai chi or Eastern thought, I started to think about the ways in which the mind is embodied. Whatever, you, whatever magic is happening as you're thinking something, right, it ultimately comes down to neurons firing, right? And you need, to, you need to put your body in a position to allow those neurons to, to fire at their, at their best capacity. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself talking to my students about things like posture mm -hmm. in class. Yeah. Um, I find them, I sometimes have stopped them during quizzes or exams when I find their heads down like this mm -hmm. and they're writing and I talk to them about, well, look at what the blood flow in your frontal lobe is right now. Mm -hmm. Like, right. this is not an embodied intellect right. that you're allowing to succeed. And I, you know, when I talk to them about writer's block or difficulty getting started, you know, uh, writing a paper, my answer to them is I give them the Nietzsche quote that Nietzsche said every book he'd ever written, he wrote while walking. Mm -hmm. And yeah. his point was, that's when my ideas come to me, mm -hmm. is when my body is moving, my blood flow, I'm, in, I'm taking in the world around me. Right. And so I talked to the guys about that. Like, it's not procrastinating to take a break from your paper and go for a walk. Right. Right. This is now a contemplative in action. Mm -hmm. um, and if you ignore your body, then you know, you're limiting the ability of your mind. And I. You know, to be honest, for years now, and even looking forward, I have real concerns about the way our students treat their bodies. Mm -hmm. I have real concerns about their sleep habits, mm -hmm. their stress levels. Like, you know, I mean, I, I look around at the, this group and I, I see, you know, you know, lofty achievements, but also like people who enjoy their daily lives and their daily work and aren't feeling like overwhelmed and exhausted and, mm -hmm you know, just fatigued from trying to be a contemplative in action. So, you know, I mean, I want our students in 15, 20 years to be able to enjoy this kind of a, 
a balance in their lives. Yeah. And I, I do worry about that, you know? Like your minds aren't working as well, guys, when you're on four or six hours of sleep. Your minds aren't working as well when you can barely keep your eyes open from a practice. And so part of, and this is again, kind of going back to your categories sure. from initially, like we so often separate them, right. but they work so well when there's this kind of harmony, yes. you know? Part of the beginning of the year, too, is rolling out all the Ignatian Scholar stuff, and I have to say that the spirit of that program is sort of a contemplatives in action design, oh, where yeah. we want these guys who are exceptional students sharing their abilities as tutors, right? So reaching out to the population and helping them, but, but also engaging the world as scholars to critique, to assess, to analyze or investigate. and. I'm very happy to have John on board this year collaborating. He had some really brilliant things, I think, to say about the position of the scholar socially mm -hmm. in his introductory presentation to the scholars this year um, about the necessary relationship of the scholar to the world around us, that scholarship is a way of processing things that are happening in the material world, but slowing it down through mm -hmm. contemplation and enduring discourse, not noisy exchanges in social media, but works that will live and present possible truths that will be meaningful enough to be accessed generations later. So I don't know if you want to speak to that, John, about the role of the scholar in society and the sort of contemplative in action through scholarship, but that's certainly the most aspirational form of the Ignatian Scholars Program, is producing people mm -hmm. who regard scholarship as an essential activity. Right, I mean, I even, I talked to Tom about this last year. My seniors who were Ignatian Scholar tutors were becoming more self-aware and reflective of their own writing. Yeah, yeah. It was helping them as writers to be more explicitly tutoring people in writing. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really do think this, this idea of a scholar in the world, mm -hmm. right, which um, without the in, you might seem to have another like duality or opposition, right? right? right. There's scholars who, you know, uh, are, are like moles burrowing through their the little libraries, right? Nietzsche called them that, right? Yeah. Just little historians looking for their little nuggets. And, and to be honest, you know, I, I know all of us have had experience, you know, at uh, higher education. And there were a lot of times in higher education where I didn't really feel contemplative in action. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was working on my dissertation or, you know, journal articles, you know, you'd go to a conference and you'd realize, like, I put all this work, all these months into this research, and there were literally four or five other dudes in the country who were reading it. Like, mm -hmm. that didn't feel like right. action to me right. in quite the same way that Loyola does, where, like, on a daily basis, mm -hmm. like, you're engaging with an audience, not of experts. And I told the parents this last night, like, at the back-to-school night. I'm not, I'm under no illusions that I'm training a hundred English majors a year, right? Like, right. I'm giving these guys a broad-based liberal arts education to go anywhere with. Um, but you, you do realize that, um, that there's something so important about the shared experience of contemplation, yeah. right? That shared joy. Um, and, and just helping the kids, I mean, to get back to, you know, my... Uh, my presentations in class where I do the, the handwriting with my pens, like there's a very explicit reason why I've never done PowerPoints in class. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because when we write the notes together, we're building something together, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean, I've seen this like, I mean, this is why I love going into Tom's room so much because I can see like what architecture he's put up, yeah, what I intellectual mean, architecture is being shaped. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, 
when I take the final picture of my notes at the end of the period for the guys to, to archive it, you know, I tell them, like, look at what we made today. Mm, like, yeah. look at what we put together. You helped me with this. I had ideas about where to go, yeah, right. but you were all in action right. here. And, and you shaped the way this, this discourse was built. Right. Um, and it gives them a sense for where a, a scholar can fit in the world. And it's, you know, certainly it's with other scholars and the joy of that experience, but it's also, you know, the, the joy of being able to share that, um, right. that wisdom and that, uh, and even with, you know, talk, sometimes I tell them, talk to your parents about yeah, this, man, right. share them. And they do. You know? yeah. They go home and they discuss these things and they come back with parental feedback and insights and recommended readings. I mean, yeah. that sort of exchange, that energetic exchange is really joyous, I think. Yeah. And... You know, we, we, we forget this. I certainly forgot this plenty of times in, uh, in higher ed and graduate school um, because you get, so, you get so enamored with, you know, these arcane details or the obs these obscure mm. disputes that you forget, like, what was the joy that brought you here right. in the first place, right. right? Like, what was the joy that brought you here? I mean, here, I've got these guys reading, my senior AP guys are reading five Greek tragedies over the next six weeks. Like, how do you sell yeah. 17 and 18 year olds on that? <laughs> well, one way you sell them is, let me tell you why I love it. Yeah, right. Like, let me tell you, I mean, when, when Tom Marsh sells Beowulf to these kids and they're wondering, why am I reading an Anglo-Saxon epic? Like, <laughs> I mean, and then you see the way it's brought to life and like the joy yeah. he brings to it. And, and uh, so I just really think that um, that enthusiasm, that love for it, and again, that, that comes back to what we've been talking about all along with this, you know, Ignatian theology. Like, there's a joy to finding God in all things, right? Like, it's almost like you're uncovering a sort of, like, a nugget. Like, oh, that was there? Right? How beautiful <laughs> right. that in the world that is there, right. right? You just want to open up channels of communication. I think that's the key as a teacher is not to know, but to open up as many avenues of discourse or interrogation as possible and then the natural energies come through. And that's what I love about the poetry class, the same thing. Right. One, that the students are gonna make me re-look at the things that I've been teaching. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a poem that I read every semester, every class with them, and it happens, this magic happens where they show me something mm -hmm. that I right. did not see in right. this poem that I know so well, almost by heart, and they tell me something different about it. And I love that, you know, yeah. that there is still more truth and more beauty to uncover right. in a poem, in this, you know, X amount of lines that there is. Yeah. I mean, for all the content that we give them, for all the detailed knowledge and expertise we give them, like, if they come away with that joy right. for, like, uncovering truth right. and yes. using their mind to uncover truth, like, wow, like, we've really done something right. for them. And I think it points to this underlying principle that there's so much in every moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. right? yes. That the, the yes. amount of truth and beauty that we can find in any moment, in any person, is boundless. Yes. So we don't have to worry that, oh, we've gotten the truth right. and there's nothing else to get here. Right. Right. But instead, the more that we hear and the more perspectives that we hear, it just opens up more and more. The more times we go back to a book or to poem, it's so rich, it more is revealed. Yes. You know, certainly we all find, you know, we've been talking very academically, you know, we've been, you know, talking our Anglo-Saxons, you know, our Greeks and all that. But 
I also try to help the guys understand that contemplative in action is experiencing the beauty and truth is often our, our most direct contact with that is in nature, yeah. right? And like when you think, when you contemplate nature, you know, there's so much beauty in each thing, right? Like uh, one of the things I teach my guys, I teach them a packet of Robinson Jeffers poetry. Um, and you know, he just talks about like the superfluous beauty of nature. Like nature's more beautiful than it has to be. Like, you know, we had to have rain and clouds, but to fling rainbows over the sky, like what a gift we got with that. Like we, you know, snails have to have shells, but did their inside of the shells have to be, you know, so intricately carved with color and shape. And it's just like, you know, I was at the beach this weekend with my kids and I was underwater looking up at the sun shining and with the sparkling glitter of the sand in the way and the clear crystal water. And I was like, the truth in this moment right now. And I, I came up out of the water and I just asked my five-year-old, I was like, so what do you think about being out here? And she said, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, oh, we did it. Like, yeah. we did what we need to right, do right. today. Successful like, day at the beach. Right? Um, <laughs> in the meantime, my three-year-old had a mouthful of sand, so he's, right. but that was his beauty, I think. <laughs> he's um, the action part. Right, yeah. He, you were the contemplative part. <laughs> but, you know, I, I try to slow the guys down. When we, do, when we do meditation or yoga in this classroom, I open the windows and I talk to them about, okay, now feel this, the air on your skin. Like, God, how beautiful it is that we're so sensitive that the wind touches us like that, right? And they sort of ignore their bodies so much that they don't even check in to be like, Oh, wow, the feeling of the sun on my skin is mm -hmm. incredible, mm -hmm. you know? So, right. you know, to help them see that, yeah, you know, we are these academic models for them, but, like, don't think that our lives are just filled with that. Like, we, you know, right. we have families and love mm -hmm. and, and, and an enjoyment of nature, and, you know, there's, there's truth and beauty in that everywhere. Well, thank you both thank very you. much. Thank this has been much. great. Right That's on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah thank awesome. you guys. That was John Vela and Tom Marsh of the English Department talking about the term contemplatives in action. Join us next month as we look at the term Kerr Personalis with Stephen Special and Walt Wolf from Loyola's Fine Arts Department. It's going to be a great conversation. We look forward to having you as together we transform one term at a time.